Kia ora, Hayden. Kia ora, Brian. How are things going in Auckland? They're going okay. Have They're you... going all right. The sun came out after four days today. There's a <laughs> plague of strange insects at my house and I'm limping to the end of the year. Uh, but besides that, I think really good. You didn't get the uncontrollable urge to jump on a plane or even just jump in a car and head beyond the borders? I have two children under sort of two and a half years old, so I feel like just the prospect of planning a holiday is far too daunting for yes, me right yes, now. Yes, that's right. <laughs> do they go to the sleep? Do they go to sleep when the car's moving? A little bit. Yeah. A little bit, but not all the time. I know, and then that's sometimes the when the car's moving and they wake up, that's when you're really in trouble. It's true. Now, obviously, COVID continues to dominate um, the news, and you've been thinking about Stuff's coverage of some of the unvaccinated, right? Yeah, this caused a kerfuffle in the weekend. They ran a headline called The Outcast Life as an Unvaccinated Person in the Traffic Light System. And it was about, you guessed it, life as an unvaccinated person in the traffic light system. So it talked about people that had given up various jobs and hobbies due to the government vaccine mandates. There was a 21-year-old who couldn't attend karate classes, you know, a peer of real estate agents in Christchurch who couldn't go into auction rooms, or even a Wellington yoga teacher who had to sell up her studio. And this has been criticised, as these stories tend to be, by uh, a lot of people, including journalists at Stuff's main rival, NZME. And I guess if the main theme of the criticism could be distilled, it's that the story was overly sympathetic, again, to anti-vaxxers. What did you think? Uh I thought that it was, but maybe not in the usual way and maybe not in the way some of the critics were saying. So a lot of these profiles, they don't go to any effort to put any countervailing opinion in there. Uh, They don't uh, put any other experts in there. This story made an obvious effort in that area. It had Human Rights Commissioner Paul Hunt. It had the epidemiologist Michael Baker. And he was even quoted saying that the balance was right when it comes to vaccine mandates. He backed the mandates. I think the crucial bit where the story didn't get didn't meet the meet the standard required of it is that even if the story quoted Baker saying the mandates were warranted, it kind of failed to explain why. And I mean, at the risk of sort of sounding like a stuck record here, because I've talked about this before, but this is a missing context. And I think it's at the heart of nearly all the anger over the story. So the context, the unvaccinated are more likely to transmit COVID-19. Vaccinated people are less likely to contract the virus. When they do, their infections are generally shorter and less severe. And when you allow thousands of words for the unvaccinated to complain about the freedoms they've lost without articulating those facts that I just said, it kind of seems like you're saying that the things that they're suffering are wrong or draconian. But when you include the fact that they're putting through their choices unvaccinated, uh, the unvaccinated choices, they're putting predominantly older or vulnerable people at risk, it sort of starts to seem a bit more like a more sensible public health measure. So, for instance, that 21-year-old missing her karate classes, she worked as a gardener at a rest home. And the elderly are most at risk from COVID-19, as we know. Lots of people died in a rest home in our last outbreak. So, I mean... The question then becomes how many lives should be put at risk so that this person can exercise her so-called medical freedom. And what are the downsides? That's it, right? So this was a point made by people like NZME journalist Francis Cook. She tweeted in uh, sarcastic quotation marks, 
I want to be a plague rat, but people won't let me near them. Life is so unfair. Sort of talking from the imagined perspective of these unvaccinated people. And that may seem unkind, but the reason that people are saying stuff like that is because the unnecessary danger the unvaccinated posed to others wasn't properly articulated by stuff in the story. And that's why it's seen as, I think justifiably, as overly sympathetic. I mean, I can understand, you know, news, novel, what's different. So stories about people who've, at the time when when choosing not to get vaccinated is going to force you to make changes in your life, quite possibly, depending on your career, that that would be obviously an interesting angle that people want to read about. But what I haven't actually seen much of recently, and maybe I haven't been looking in the right places, is also stories about people who've got sick, very sick recently from COVID-19, maybe because they came into contact with somebody who was unvaccinated. Yeah, exactly. And so when you do have these stories that focus entirely on the freedoms that unvaccinated people have lost, I mean, if you're immunocompromised or if you have kids that can't be vaccinated, you're probably thinking, you know, where's my story? You know, there was a lot of complaints from some of the people, oh, not, well, not complaints, sorry, defense of the story from some of the people at Stuff saying, you know, where's your empathy for these people? We need to empathize with the unvaccinated. And if you're immunocompromised, you're thinking, well, where's my empathy? You're reading that article thinking, what am I chopped liver? You know, I mean, the, the problem isn't that it talks about the freedoms of the unvaccinated or tries to empathize with them, but that it doesn't really mention the competing freedoms of the groups who would disproportionately pay the price for attaining the unvaccinated's freedom. So I can absolutely see why someone that's disabled or immunocompromised might be peevish seeing a whole profile devoted to complaints about people missing their karate classes when those people might lose their health or their life if we do allow people to keep attending karate classes and the like. You know, another thing that's, again, I might not have been looking in the right place, Hayden, but... I've heard a lot recently if I tune in. It might even have been on Media Watch. And, and there's <laughs> some radio hosts saying, why are we being held ransom by these places where they're not vaccinated to the sufficient level and we can't go there? They're holding us up. And it's because they can't be bothered. They can't be bothered. And and they is more often than not Māori because the areas we're talking about are Northland, parts of Northland. And and that is coverage of what? why is it? And... By that I mean, what are the logistics of actually vaccinating a very rural, poor population? And it, it's been a struggle for me to find people who've actually been able to explain that. In fact, the best I got was talking to somebody last night on the program who was at a checkpoint. This is a Ngāti Whātua checkpoint on Highway 12 at Mangaroto. Have you seen stuff which explains just the logistics of vaccinating a poor rural population such as is in Northland? No, I, I haven't seen that much about those logistical problems. I've heard somewhat about them from people that have tried to get vaccinated in those areas. And this is part of it. And this is probably why stuff has a, has a case, right? Because we should be empathising not just with people that are choosing to be unvaccinated, <laughs> but with, with people that have genuine struggles uh, to get vaccinated because of logistical problems or or basically racist problems in the health system, right? And, and that's definitely worth empathising with. That, that wasn't really the focus of the story that I was talking about. These were definitely people that were in positions of more privilege and they had chosen not to do it for reasons that were kind of pretty much unexplained by the story. Now, you you, you sort of a little bit, would you get give the, um, the stuff coverage, what, about 5 out of 10? A bit more? <laughs> I. I don't know. I think I just thought it has it was missing it was missing stuff and yeah, and so to speak. <laughs> yeah, 
it, it, it was missing stuff, so to speak. It, it should have included a bit more context, and I've said that with other stuff. And, and I think perhaps kind of the screeds and screeds of column inches that we do have on these anti-vaxxers, they wouldn't be so galling to people if we also had more of this kind of countervailing stories and stories about other groups and and empathy for other groups that are really most affected by the pandemic. And, and I mean, on that note, I would like to applaud Herald journalist Jamie Morden today for delving deep into the need to protect children from COVID-19. And I mean, I mentioned I have two children under two. And the story says that essentially children have been kind of invisible or sidelined in the pandemic strategy. And I would add to that the media coverage as well, right? We 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 often tout the vaccination rate for eligible New Zealanders and skip over the fact that that doesn't include hundreds of thousands of young children. And we say, oh, 90% of us are fully vaccinated. Well, actually, that's not true because children aren't included. And uh, the story notes that children are at risk of long-term health effects from COVID and sort of notes expert calls for us to retain a suppression strategy to protect them. Stuff's Nikki McDonald also covered children today. I want to highlight that. Uh, her, her conclusion is a bit more encouraging. If you're a vaccinated household, it says the chances of your child getting seriously ill with COVID are very low. I, I, I thought this was good that these people were talking about some of these other groups that maybe have been ignored or are also at risk of the pandemic. And I mean, I'd also like to commend TVNZ for their recent documentary, Anger, Anxiety and Us, which ah. focused not just on anti-vaxxers transition, but on the people who have been on the receiving end of abuse from predominantly. Saw the promo for that. You watched you it. Didn't see the, you didn't see it? No, the, no, the it's probably on the time when I'm on here. Yeah, that's actually true. It was. It was. I watched it on the internet later, but... I mean, I thought it was a pretty commendable thing for One News to do. We don't see too many of these docos these days, do we? And it seems like it was put together pretty in a pretty short space of time, and it's done really well. And, and I think the thing it does best is just show what life has been like for a lot of essential and frontline workers during the pandemic. So here's a clip I'm about to play. This is a collection of supermarket workers and ambulance officers and police describing what they've been through. Multiple times we were punched, kicked, scratched. Intimidating photos taken of them and a road bike thrown at someone. One of the guys just trying to punch on my face. Me and my staff have been spat on, we've been uh, bitten. I was bitten on my leg two times. I've had people spit in my face. Some of my workers have actually been stabbed. So the show is hosted by John Campbell and it goes on to feature sort of a series of feature interviews with a disparate array of people. There's the organisers of the Groundswell protests who actually disavow some of the racist and misogynistic stuff that some of their allies had said at some of their protests. And there's also Hone Harawida who talks about the border controls he's helping run in Titai Tokoro and... I mean, in Campbell's usual style, it's basically a call for more kindness and understanding. And uh, transition again over at NZME, a prominent commentator was issuing that call for kindness in a pretty spectacular way this week. So this is Kerry McIver talking to her listener, Janine, who called in to say that she was worried about the new Omicron variant and thankful that we've had relatively strict COVID protocols in place to date. Yeah, who knows what's going to happen next week if that, that new virus is going to come Janine, over you're here. living in terror yourself. It's I'm a horrible way to live. I'm not living in terror. Well, when you say who knows what's going to happen next, chances <laughs> are you'll wake up, you'll have breakfast, you'll have no, a no, lovely no, day with your family. 
That's not right at all. I think we should all be very grateful no. for how we've been looked after. No. Looked after? For God's yes. sake, I'm an adult woman. I can look after my own self. Things went downhill from there, Brian. Did they? So they did. Janine said the unvaxxed were taking up hospital beds. Kerry McIver said they're actually only taking up 61 and there's more than 2,000 in Auckland. And this is how the call ended. So they're not taking up all the beds, Janine. Well, they've been taking up a lot in the past. No, they haven't. You're full of it. And I really fear for you. I, I, I want to be angry with you, but I just feel sorry for you that you need a government to look after you. You sad... Pathetic creature. Huh. Was that the end of the conversation? It was. It went to huh. ads after that. To the so ads. The yeah, cut to ads straight after that one. The, the Herald actually wrote that up in a pretty lengthy article yesterday, and it had been taken down without explanation today. Maybe they thought the call actually didn't particularly reflect well on Kerry McIver. But, I mean, on what Kerry McIver said, you know, actually we peaked at 93 people in hospital with COVID in the current outbreak, but if no overseas is anything to go by it shows that actually hospitals can get overwhelmed pretty quickly in uncontrolled outbreaks. And I think there's a tendency among some talkback hosts to cite the success of suppression measures as a reason to completely do away with them. But I mean, on the tone of that call, I think John Campbell had something quite poetic to say about the futility of abuse and the closing monologue of anger, anxiety in us. So I'll go back to that. We must love one another or die, the poet Auden wrote, which doesn't mean we have to agree with each other. Imagine how boring that would be. But yelling at supermarket workers doesn't change the world. It diminishes it. Look, I mean, that's John Campbell summing up his documentary. I mean, I'd add to that, it's not just supermarket workers who deserve a bit of kindness. I mean, Abusing your talkback callers doesn't really help us all that much either. And it just goes to show, I think, that it's not just anti-vaxxers and COVID protesters who are directing abuse at people who are actually being pretty reasonable and un- undeserving of it. Well, I mean, it's also maybe, high-profile hosts in the mainstream media, apparently. Maybe Kira McIver thought that caller was a cyclist, because you remember how angry she got when those <laughs> cyclists got on the Auckland Harbour Bridge? Exactly. What they did she say? They were rats. Ticks. Ticks. You know, those little things that get into your skin. I said, well, I, that's what I thought she said. What? <laughs> Entirely sure. That's what I thought I heard, the word tick, as in blood-sucking, whatever. But um, I thought it was rats. So, yeah, well, I mean, maybe it was that too. The history of this from Kerry McIver recently, it does seem that she might be experiencing some anger and anxiety of her own. Um, yes. I, yeah, maybe. I, not sure, but I really didn't think that Janine deserved that. It was pretty poor form. Yeah, it was a bit. Um, Hayden, thank you so much for your time again this evening. Um, good luck with planning your next road trip. Hey, thank you so much.